The Athletic. I'm Ian McIntosh and welcome to the Football Manager Show sponsored by LifeScore. On the show today, we're all about the unconventional. We're all about the freaks. We're all about the downright kooky. 442, Nanya Nelly. We're going asymmetric and beyond with RDF tactics. And it's a Father Stephen FM confessional extended edition because... Last week seemed to set something off inside of you and we got bombarded with awful, awful tales of immorality. Brace yourself for that. Plus, we tell the story of another of the game's greats in Live Score's Legends of the Game. So let's get started. I am delighted to be joined again by Mr. RDF Tactics. Welcome back. Thank you for having me once again. It's always a pleasure. It was also a pleasure to be playing in that draft tournament a couple of weeks ago and to have you sort of on my other laptop as a, as a pundit, either, uh, either either tearing me to bits or, or <laughs> towards the end really, really boosting me. There's a lot of energy there. Uh, very appreciative. No problem. It was uh, a, a peculiar insight into what it must be like to be a manager walking down the corridor and someone's left Sky Sports News on. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> but um, we've got you in here partly because of that tournament and because I went in with my very conventional 4-3-3 and everyone I was up against was playing formations that were essentially the work of psychopaths. They were either three centre-forwards bundled together or they were asymmetric to the point of lunacy. It was basically just hot mess after hot mess after hot mess, but the hot mess kept winning. Why did this happen? Have they These guys cracked the game in a way that casual players like myself haven't. That happens. <laughs> that happens. Uh, when, I, when I entered my first draft, I was seeing people with like free right wingers and stuff like that. And I was thinking, what's going on? And I'm losing as well. So I was in a similar boat. But yeah, it's like they focus so much on one thing. Sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. But sometimes they just focus on one thing. And if they've got very good players in that position as well, then that it could be pretty lethal. Despite the flaws that this tactic has, it really does focus on the strength sometimes. So one of the major things we teach on the podcast, because this podcast isn't for people who want to like break open the game and win 38 games out of 38, <laughs> this podcast is primarily for people like me who've been playing for years and have sort of got a bit left behind by all the changes and just need like a refresher course on, um, on how to not make it an unpleasant experience. And we always teach, like, limit the instructions, nice, simple formation, and sort of build and tinker from there. These formations are completely insane. Would they work in a career mode? Yeah, so especially something like a strikerless, that would for certainly work in a um, career mode. But there are certain tactics. So I've actually seen one where it's a, I'm trying to describe the shape of it, but it's all over the place. But it's a 4 3 3. So it's got a flat back four, it's got one DM. And then it's got a right midfielder with a right winger, <laughs> two strikers and a left winger as well. So, of course, this middle and the left is completely exposed. But for some odd reason, it really works against the computer. Just to clarify, because these things are always hard to visualise, you're talking about the only person on the left side is the left back. And on the right side, you've got a right back, a right midfielder and a right uh, winger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you've got three on the right and one on the left. 
What do you get from that in terms of benefits? So a lot of the times it's when you're watching the match engine, it's the game kind of sees where your players are. So once like, if, for an example, if you're building out from the back, it's like your players can clearly see what's happening on the right side of the pitch. So automatically the ball kind of shifts over there and it's what kind of happens. And then once you get that overload, sometimes it is very, very difficult to defend against. That's what these people focus on. And some of them don't just go in blindly, just thinking, okay, this is a crazy tactic. This might work. A lot of people have actually practiced and done practice drafts before they go into a competition. So it's actually well thought out, these tactics. So they might look crazy to a viewer like me, but then to that person, it's very, very well thought out and they know exactly what can happen. So the benefit being that you wouldn't even have to say focus play on the right. The players would do it. They're not stupid. Yeah, kind of, yeah. And the ball moves over there where you've suddenly got two men basically on their left back. Yeah. Which gives you the overload and enables you to create chances. I, I guess the, the first response is either for the opposing team to reinforce that flank by making their own asymmetric change or going completely the other way and sending everyone to uh, run at their presumably now terrified left back. <laughs> uh, what, what's the best way to do it? I think with a lot of people, especially like me, we go into drafts with our own plan. So not a lot of us are actually reactive. So we will see this. It might hurt our head a little bit, but because we've got our own system and sometimes it's a crazy system as well, we have belief in our own system. So a lot of times we don't try and defend against it. And to be honest with you, sometimes when I do try and defend against it, that's when things actually go wrong. So you would think you try and look at the obvious and try and focus on the other side. but sometimes. If their team is just on it on their day, you would hardly see the ball anyway to be attacking down that left-hand side. So you have to think about it really logically and you just have to sit there for a good five minutes thinking about it, how you're going to defend and attack against it. Now, see, we're getting dangerously close to the old sort of ideological schism with football manager players. Do you set up your team and your, your tactical plan as you're saying, with draft players, just to focus on yourself? Or do you take the time to look at the opposition and think, ooh, he's playing a 17-year-old debutant right back. Would it work in a career mode to just sort of slow it all down and think, I'm going to approach this like a draft and I'm going to ruin that 17-year-old's career? <laughs> so again, in an online career, it can work both ways. It's like one game, you can win a 7-0 or a Sometimes the games could be crazy, like 8-4. But then the next game, you could get absolutely smashed. And it could be against Burnley, who are just lobbing the ball forward. And it's, of course, just focusing on a heavy floor against your tactic. In the 4-3-3, you feel a bit more safe. Going in like a standard 4-3-3, you feel a bit more safe. The moment it's asymmetric, there's going to be a, a major floor. And it's kind of, okay, is it going to work out or is it going to go horribly wrong? And you're kind of fighting with that throughout the whole season against their AI. It's funny, isn't it? Because I, I, I'd imagine older listeners are just thinking about Ozzy Ardiles <laughs> right now, who introduced a five-man front line for Tottenham Hotspur in the early 90s, which was initially brilliant. And then everyone just went, oh, well, they'll be easy to beat then. Are, are there any leagues in the world where these sort of mad formations would have more success than others? So I wouldn't say it would be great in the Premier League unless your team is just crazily good so I think someone like Liverpool it could possibly work but other than that it's, I don't think it would do very very well in the English Premier League but then the moment you go to a league like Eredivisie or even League Un these crazy tactics absolutely can blow teams away so I've got a strikerless tactic which isn't that crazy it isn't that crazy and I've noticed obvious flaws so for an example if we're under pressure and we need to kick the ball long we're literally just kicking it straight to the defence 
every single time because we don't have that striker as an outlet. But then on the flip side, when we do have longer spells with the ball, the football is absolutely amazing to watch sometimes. And I think that's what it is. People just want to see that good football being played when they're playing FM. Talk me through your, your strikerless formation. The benefits here, I'm, I'm guessing, are you, you're playing a possession game and yeah. you're basically not letting them have the ball. And if they do get the ball, they've got to get through a line of four and a line of six, which is going to be very difficult. I mean, this was uh, Luciano Spalletti did this with Roma years ago, didn't he? Yeah, like you said, it is possession based. So there's a lot of passing triangles. So the only difference is it's a normal 4 3 3, but all I've done is drag the striker into the attacking midfield area. So now we've actually got a midfield diamond. So a lot of the times we're packed out of midfield, we're overloading in midfield and then when the ball plays out into the wider areas then we've got a lot of passing triangles as well and a lot of the times we do overwhelm teams but then again sometimes we just don't have that striker breaking through the defence line quick enough but there is a lot of pros especially the pressing as well because again we don't have that striker the moment the ball goes into midfield we've already got that four diamond midfield ready to press and then of course, sometimes the wingers might get involved, the fullbacks might get involved. So defensively, there is a lot of overloads. Attacking-wise, there's a lot of overloads. The only or the major flaw is just not having that, that output up top. You can get that getting behind the lines ability by setting people to attack rather than support, can't you? Is, is that right? Yeah, so we've got, for me, my attacking midfielder actually doesn't break through. He's just the playmaker, so he actually drops deep into midfield. And then we've got the wingers and then the two central midfielders, the ones that are bombing forward to get in behind. Sometimes they just don't get there quick enough or sometimes they hesitate as well. So they make that run and fall, ah, and they kind of stop and then they go again. So sometimes, yeah, it can slow down the pace and then someone like Burnley can just get all their 100 defenders back and stop your attacking play, <laughs> <laughs> which is one of the frustrations that I have sometimes. But then again, it will come with flaws and that is one of them. Going back to uh, asymmetric formations, let's talk about a sort of asymmetric shandy, if you will, for those not willing to go the whole <laughs> way. Could you take a conventional formation and just change player roles to sort of create it? Because a funny thing with this game, you don't need to do too much to make quite profound changes. So if you yeah. had, say, the, the the right side of a 4-3-3 all on, all on attack and the left side on support or defend, um, would that effectively give you asymmetry without the anxiety attack of seeing a team that looks like it was just thrown onto the magnetic board? Oh uh, yeah, for sure. So yesterday or a couple of days ago, I was reading about possession play and it's, oh my God, I forgot the name of it. But it's basically, so it's not exactly possession play, but it's when you're kind of forcing play on one side and now you're left the other side open where you can you can obviously switch the ball into the open side now because you've dragged a lot of defenders on one side. That's what can happen if you have a conventional tactic. So let's say you're playing a 4 3 3, but then everybody on the left is on attack and then everyone on the right is on support. Again, naturally, the ball matches go over to the left because that's where your attacking play is. A lot of players are going further forward. So naturally, your players will be looking for those attackers. And if the ball is getting played on the left hand side, naturally, you'll be shifting the opposition's defense to one side. And that allows you to have that switch of play to the right hand side where your player could be absolutely free. Nice. God bless those players. They just um, they take the initiative for themselves. That's what I like about them. Let's design uh, an unconventional formation as a little case study. Let's take your own beloved Arsenal. I know this is going to hurt right now because oh. results in the last few days. If you were trying to take that Arsenal side and do something unconventional with them, let's build up an 11 and player roles and, and shapes. So in, in goal, presumably we don't need to do much. Aaron Ramsdale is one of the better shot stoppers in the league. So we're all right there. Would you do anything crazy with the defence? I would have a 
flat back four. I think in the midfield, in attack as well, start to make things look a bit funky. So at the back, I will probably have ooh, Gabriel as a centre back, Ben White as the ball playing defender. I'll have Tierney as a wing back, just bombing up and down the pitch. But then I would possibly have Tomiyasu as an inverted wing back ooh. on the right hand side. Okay. So then now that right winger will be as an attacking winger. So he will be all the way up as the right winger. But on the left-hand side, we'll have a left midfielder. Okay, so you've got so, the asymmetry there. Tell me who your attacking right winger is. It's got to be Saka. It's got to be Saka. Okay. Holding his position out wide because, of course, we're going to have the inverted wing back. But it can still be an inverted winger. So he'll start out wide the moment he gets in the ball or he gets on the ball is, is when he cuts inside. And then on the left-hand side of midfield, I would have possibly Emil Smith-Rowe as my wide playmaker. Ooh. So then you have that nice relationship with Tierney bombing up and down, getting around, overlapping your playmaker who's cutting inside and affecting play. Okay, who's in the middle? It's going to be Partey and... <laughs> we don't have many options here, do we, in midfield? I'm just wondering how you're going to choose between Xhaka and El Elneny and then I know what Arsenal's transfer strategy is this summer. <laughs> so we're going to have a... Parte as our okay yeah so if I was going to look for a new player I would sign a new box-to-box midfielder and then have Parte as my holding midfielder so a central midfielder on defend where he's just gonna yeah. kind of hold his position but without a new box-to-box it would be Parte as my box-to-box and then possibly Shaka as my central midfielder on defend okay and up front up front we're just gonna have that one striker slightly shifted onto the right-hand side. So he's going to be linking up with Saka on that right-hand side. And he's going to be... We'll leave him as a pressing forward. We'll leave him as a pressing forward on the right-hand side of attack. And now for the left striker, we're going to bring him down into attacking midfield. So again, things are looking funky. And there we will have our attacking midfielder on attack, trying to expose any spaces in between the channels. And, And who are those two strikers? God damn, again, no more choices. <laughs> no choices. We're going to go with Lacazette and, of course, Erdegaard as our attacking midfielder. Oh, actually, if we're talking nice. football manager, we'll go Martinelli up top, actually. Okay, that's interesting. You wouldn't play him off the flank? No, I would have Martinelli as my pressing forward working hard. Nice. If we're talking FM, in real life, yeah, it would. Yeah, new striker. <laughs> Please. <laughs> so it's good. It's it's kind of a four four two, but it's not a four four two. Yeah, so what we've got, it's you can look at it two ways as a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3-1. And there you go. That's the unconventional shape. And if you're anything like me, you're already thinking, can I clear my afternoon and just play a new save with Arsenal and see if that works? <laughs> I might actually do that and just, just see how it goes. If you're listening and, and you'll say, poof, unconventional, I'll show you unconventional. Do that. Show us unconventional. Send in your weirdest formations, the ones that actually work, and let us know how it goes. And uh, and if you try out these these tactics, let us know how it goes. Mr. RDF Tactics, what have you got coming up on your many media channels this week? Uh, we've got a lot of videos on YouTube. I've caught this YouTube bug, so I go through phases. It's like one moment I've got the streaming bug where I'm just streaming constantly. Now I've got the YouTube bug where I just want to record, record, record. So I've got a few tactical videos Coming up, I've also got a Pep Guardiola video where we're talking about positional play because I've done all my research the other day. And I'm going to try and basically explain how you can implement positional play into FM. And of course, the YouTube channel would be RDF Tactics. All right. Look out for that. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me again. It is a pleasure. Loving life. 
It's more than a score with live score. Legends of the game. So, what's all this about then? Well, with LiveScore, which I'm certain you've all downloaded for free from the App Store or Google Play, you get the latest action stats and analysis from around the world. Because we know with football it goes beyond scores. It's the stories from the pitch and the stands, players and fans all spinning their own strands of the mighty football web that links us all together. And there's no better way to twang that web than by playing Football Manager. And because we've been doing it for so many years, we made a few memories. Welcome to Legends of the Game. And if you're of a certain vintage, i.e. the sort of person who still says computer games instead of video games, the sort of person who wishes sensible software still make games, you'll remember Tom Young's very well. He first pops up in a CM2 update disc in 1997, but he's still knocking around in CM0102, a quick, skillful, intelligent forward who can play off either flank. If you were the sort of manager who liked to keep an eye on the lower leagues and pick off young talent, you almost certainly swooped when you saw him racking up 20 goals a season or more for Cambridge. He had bags of potential ability, so while you might think he'd eventually be replaced, Youngs would just keep on getting better, even at the very top of the game. Which sadly is the absolute opposite of what happened in real life. Youngs was never entirely comfortable in professional football, he wasn't really the stereotypical lower league player. He had A-levels, he'd later get a degree, and while he said that he liked some of the banter, he found a lot of it uncomfortable, and I think we all know how to decode that. Youngs was snapped up by Northampton for £50,000 in 2003, but it just didn't work out and he never scored a goal. He'd go on to play for Orient and Bury before drifting into non-league. Youngs was snapped up by Northampton for £50,000 in 2003, but it just didn't work out and he never scored a goal. He would go on to play for Orient and Bury before drifting into non-league. And then he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Now that's had a deleterious effect on his day-to-day -day life, but recent interviews with Sky Sports and the BBC show a man with a strong sense of humour and incredible personal strength. He's written a book called What Dreams Are Not Quite Made Of. No fame, no fortune, just football and multiple sclerosis. And by all accounts, it's an excellent read. So be sure to look out for that. I found it on the Kindle store for £4.99. So we salute you, Tom Youngs, and we all wish you the very best in the future. That was It's More Than a Score with Live Score Legends of the Game. You can get real-time updates and results, match highlights and breaking news from around the football world on the Live Score app, and it's completely free. Just search for it on the App Store or Google Play now. This is the most exciting time of the season, and if you're looking for the most exciting football writing, it's all on The Athletic. There's Phil Hay on Leeds, there's Amy Lawrence on Arsenal, and of course, looming like Godzilla above the whole thing, there's David Ornstein. And if you've never subscribed before, you can try it out for six quid. That'll buy you six months of athletic coverage, which is a preposterous price. Six months, six quid. Go to theathletic.com forward slash fmpod. That's theathletic.com forward slash fmpod, and subscribe now before they realise how ludicrously cheap it is.
Welcome then to an extended confessional session. I don't know what happened last week. We were getting a steady stream of confessions and then the floodgates just opened last week and there have been loads. If your confession isn't on, I'm so sorry there's just been so many and we'd have to actually just do a special show. As it is, we're extending this feature. Father Stephen, you must be gratified to see so many people flocking to your door. Hello Ian, my son. Yes, I am. I'm glad that many are seeking solace salvation and redemption from their football manager sins. Let's see if we can hand any out. Johnny Milne is first. He says, forgive me for I am a repentant sinner. Well, we'll see about that. Having been a committed football manager disciple since the Old Testament days of CM, I confess I have made a number of transgressions. In my youth, I dabbled with the sin of save scumming. I dipped my toe into the tempting waters of adding a second playable manager to sell a rival club star player. Not good, not good. But from around 2014 to 2019, I created a particular database file with some key changes. Nothing to impact my own chosen teams or improve my lot at all, no. But as a lifelong Aberdeen and Manchester United fan, this particular database simply raised the salaries of every single player and staff member at Rangers and Manchester City to around half a million pound a week. That meant that no matter what else happened in my safe, there was always the solace that these two teams were quickly saddled with unmanageable debt administration and points deductions. I have long since sought redemption and worked to better myself. Your podcast has shown me the light over the past two years. Please, Father Stephen, please help me find that absolution and forgive me my sins. Well, this is... There are multiple confessed sins in there. It's clearly been a long time since Johnny's last confession, so he clearly had a lot on their mind too relieve so again they have sought absolution and that is good but i do think there must be a penance or punishment of some kind for this one and i think since the sin primary sin was to put financial weight or burden on his rivals he should suffer a similar fate so i believe for the next should we say maybe five maybe ten player contract extensions he should offer an extra 25% more than he would have done and and they would have accepted to feel the weight of that financial burden himself to know what he put on his rivals. I think that's right. I I think that's right. Johnny, the next 10 contracts you renew are 25% more wage than the player initially asked for. We call this the Peter Ridsdale punishment. (laughs) (laughs) Those who remember that. Um, David Byers, love the podcast, but I don't love the sin I'm committing. I love long-term FM stories. I love taking on a struggling Vanarama North or South team. God, I miss those guys. I'm raising them up the pyramid. But when I start, it's hard. The players I have are just local lads. They have some shocking older players, plumbers and builders and the like, he says. Come the end of the season, I eye up the transfer window and I always look at players released by some of the better teams in the world. Southampton are a goldmine. But I indiscriminately sign these players, as many as I can afford, and just let the game weed out the best from the worst. Is this a sin, hoarding all the young talents released by clubs just to cast them aside when they underperform? I've got to be honest, David, this just sounds like modern football to me. Beam-fishing young footballers. Uh, Father Stephen, what do you think? I'm minded to agree generally, and I think that you could argue that actually another chance has been given to these these young players uh, by David who were cast aside by larger clubs and for every, without going of course into more details, for every player that was cast aside then by David, 
he has given chances and I imagine a second career chance to these players. So I'm minded to not necessarily give a penance or a punishment, but more to suggest to David that he should potentially be more, make slightly more wiser choices in terms of players. He must have a sense now that before signing a player that they won't necessarily have a chance. So maybe for the ones that we all have the instinct, don't we, that when we try and sign a player, it's more of a punt than a sure thing. So perhaps maybe he should give a bit more caution to just completely hoovering up every single player. Yeah, I, I don't think we need to hate the player, David Byers. You can choose to hate the game late-stage capitalism if you wish, but that's for a very different podcast. I, I think I think pat him on the back and, uh, and let him go. I don't think there's anything to be mm. done here, which is not the case with Elliot Batten. I come to you today to seek redemption for a sin which weighs on me heavily, he writes. That's good. He's come in the right spirit. Mm. I'm currently the manager of Sassuolo in Italy. I've definitely not said that right. <laughs> I've been enjoying a steady climb up Italian football, all of which leads me to a state of overconfidence. And with the mental fatigue of playing FM for so long and wanting to get through more matches, I decide to go on holiday for a week, let my trusty assistant take charge, and I think, uh, the team I'm up against are only 18th. It's all going to be fine. Well, I couldn't have been more wrong. When I return, I come back to a frustrating 2-0 defeat and a damaged title charge, which leads me to my greatest sin. I decide to do what I call soft save scumming by going back to the point before the holiday so as not to be so lazy in the first place. Now, the majority of the time I win those lost matches, but it doesn't ever feel like a victory. It often feels very empty knowing what unholy acts I've committed. I know I use the term soft save scum, but it's a coping mechanism to convince myself that it's okay. Father Stephen, what do you think? Well, first of all, Ian, I uh, will give you the penance of... Italian pronunciation lessons with James Horncastle, just to make sure that Sassuolo doesn't happen again. <laughs> Secondly, in terms of the sins of Elliot, I think well, the first thing to say, of course, is that he should manage every single game that he is the manager of the senior team. Not everyone is as dedicated as yourself, young Ian, in terms of managing the youth group, whether that's under 18s, under 23s as well. But to not manage a game in terms of the, the game that we call Football Manager feels wrong. So first of all, Elliot, you should yeah. take responsibility for every single game that you are the manager of and not delegate to the assistant manager there. That's the first responsibility, I would say, more than, more than penance or punishment that you must go back to. Yeah. And in terms of the soft saves coming, do we feel there should be some sort of extra punishment for that, young game? How do you feel? I think he should be made to sack his assistant manager straight away which, I mean, he deserves it for losing that game. I think if the crime is to not play games, then the punishment should be to play games. I think the next 10 B-team games, he has to manage personally on extended highlights. I feel that you're in a vengeful mood this morning, Ian, but I will, on this occasion, follow it. And um, perhaps a harsher lesson for Elliot than others, but... Oh, it's nothing compared to what's coming up later. <laughs> Uh, Brad Wilgus, my laptop has had some issues causing the games to crash at certain times. Because of this, there have been times where I may have won a crucial game and the result is reduced to faint memories. There have been times where I load the game back up and then lose the uh, aforementioned match. Uh, feeling hard done by, I am tempted to reload to the previous save and replay until I win, as you know, it feels like the computer has actually saved scummed against me. 
However, there are times where I lost a game and the reload caused the loss to turn out to be a win. Can I have guidance on what the right thing to do here might be if something like this happens? My first guidance, Brad, would be to turn your auto safe on uh, or just, just hit control S after every game which is what me and Alex Stewart used to have to do in our link-up games just in case disaster happened, because there really is no moral way through through that. Father Stephen, what do you think? Yes, I believe also, I mean, I obviously still only correspond using quill and paper, but I hear there are things such as a C drive that you should keep an eye on on, on these computers to make sure that crashing is less likely and, and your software updates too just from a performance point of view or perhaps if you're in the situation to do so a new laptop may be a wise investment to avoid the possible road to cine in this way certainly defragging the hard drive would be a, a, a good bless way. you my son good bit of housekeeping <laughs> james pearson james pearson is so deep in a psychological hole that he's written the entire letter pretending that it's his make-believe friend bobby who has a magic ring to rewind time by a day and try again. So make of that what you will. James says, Bobby, and I'm doing the quote mark fingers here, Bobby always used it sparingly with, uh, go on, Father Stephen, who's that team? Crotone. 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 There you go, sounds better in the original Essex. Uh, Bobby always used his magic ring sparingly with Crotone, a relegation rival here, an away game at the Stadio Olimpico there, sneaking into seventh on the last day, by which he means, of course, just reloading until he wins the game. He thought, no harm, no foul, we haven't won anything, we would have been safe anyway. Then Fiorentina, Father Stephen, you remember them, mm-hmm. they came calling. A club with money and riches and a budget, ten times what he had. Uh, he, he rebuilt the squad and started with a conventional 4-3-3 fluid counter-attack inspired by some bloke in England he was reading about online. Can't think who. Uh, but his new team was horrible. No will, no cohesion. He came up against Atalanta and Gasparini's juggernaut. It took him 15 tries with the magic ring and constant tinkering to in a fit of rage he just decided to copy Gasparini's tactics and won 2-0 with that 3-5-2 gegenpress. Well, that tactic turned out to be very useful, pushed his team higher and higher up the table. Bobby didn't even have to use the ring. Maybe he'd turned a corner with his addiction. But then came Cagliari. <laughs> I'm terrible at this. Even you know that's not right. <laughs> there. Gallery. I just felt in my water. There it is. Calorie. On the second to last match day, five replays, constant anguished cries to the heavens, until finally Bobby confirmed Champions League football with Fiorentina. He says it's hard for Bobby to stop now, to not reach for that magic ring and fix the referee's blown penalty call or a missed runner at a wide free kick or Juventus's incredible ability to earn a penalty in every game. When I asked Bobby about it, says James, during a shared drink after his side's penalty shootout victory against Milan in the Cup, his response was, I have too much to lose now, I'm in too deep. There will be no absolution for me, but I will take all my trophies and thousands of hours with me straight to hell father Stephen. there's an awful lot to unpack here mm. i'm torn on this one in the sense of as you say my you know in the the besmirching of my beloved team from florence but also everyone who has written so far across these confessionals has come in seeking absolution the fear i have for the soul of james or bobby who's ever sold it is is um that final line of no absolution but taking all their trophies down to hell so I do wonder or worry that 
are they even seeking absolution? They're just they're almost in a Faustian pact bragging about what they've done. Yeah, I think that they've tarnished your little confessional box. Mm. They may as well have just come in with muddy feet. <laughs> the only thing I can think is that this is a cry for help from James, but he's so deep in that it's come through the medium of Bobby. Mm. There's a lot of work for someone to do there. I would say if he's interested in penance, then quitting Fiorentina immediately mm. and taking a job at the bottom of the pyramid and working his way back up might be a good place to start. Because with all those games that never were, they would have gained wisdom and knowledge of, of this game to the point where they the progress may not be as quick as in the use of the magic ring. Uh, they'll be going down with an incredible in-game reputation because we're the only people who know the game doesn't know mm. what's been going on. So they will at least have the bonus of starting at the bottom but as an international calibre manager, which will have an extraordinary boost to players' morale. Indeed, indeed. So I, I, yeah. I agree with your suggestion of penance there, Ian, if they do want it. OK, not sure how we're going to play this, but let's just dive straight in because this one you need to brace yourself for. Mm. We've had some people, some right royal characters, come through these doors. We've never had anything like Nicola Buya. Buya? Not sure. <laughs> Nicola the Bad, we're going with. Nicola writes, Years ago, my friend and I were playing a hot seat game. He was Barcelona, I was Real Madrid, and he was winning. He was about to win the title. It was all going so well right up until he made a fatal mistake. He went to the toilet. I just couldn't stand him winning the league with my favourite team, beating me on the game that I had introduced him to. So I did something that haunts me even to this day 20 years later. While he was away, I demoted star players like Rivaldo and Saviola down to the B team, promoted young players up from the B team and then gave them in-game nicknames like, well... Rivaldo and Saviola, so it looked like they were the real deal. And it almost backfired. His new goalkeeper turned out to be brilliant, and the youngsters actually more than held their own. But he did end up finishing second. I still believe to this day that what I did was the most evil and awful thing I've ever done in the world. What do you think, Father Stephen? Am I going to FM hell? Um, Father Stephen. Wow. Yeah, wow. I, I, I mean, sorry, yes, uh, yes, my son, that is, um, that is... <sighs> That's a lot, isn't it? It's a betrayal of trust. A betrayal of trust, and, I mean, how long were they in the toilet for? That's my <laughs> <laughs> Which is possibly an ancillary point to this. You don't want to rush these things. Let, let your body be your body. <laughs> my, 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 my. I think, first of all, as we always say, they have come seeking some sort of absolution. It has et away at them. The thing I'm trying to think for something so substantial is the punishment. Oh, I have that. I think your vengeful moody and the slightly vengeful mood that you're in today, I think will take us and is appropriate, I think, for the gravity of this most cardinal of sins. So what, what do you believe? Because I'm slightly still in shock. <laughs> All right. What, what has happened here is, is beyond football manager repercussions. We need real-world repercussions. Now, Nicola says that they're still in touch, they're still friends now. I can only assume that he's never been told about this. What happens is that Nicola needs to visit a real-world trophy shop 
and buy a football-related trophy. I'm not talking about like a Premier League replica, just, just you know, this is a symbolic thing. I believe the place around the corner from me does them for about 14 quid and get it inscribed, La Liga champion. I think Nicola needs to present that trophy to their friend and apologise. I think that's what needs to be done here. Yes, I agree, and I think that is the beginning of the road to forgiveness for this. And of course, it shouldn't need saying, but evidently it does. Do not ever, ever do anything of this nature again. I mean, it's a competitive game. We all want to win. But to descend down to the road to hell quite so drastically is not a road worth taking for that success and would make that success very tainted. That's not a road. That's an open elevator shaft and they've just tossed themselves in head first. That's, that's something else. Well, if you can beat that, and I see from the pings in my inbox that people are already trying because we did speak about that one on Twitter. You know how to get in touch, dear Lord. We're going to need we're going to need a long walk on a nice sunny day through a pleasant meadow to get ourselves through all of this. Email imacintosh at theathletic.com. We're also on Twitter, Ian underscore Games. And that's the address you use for letters as well. And we've we've had loads of them as well. I don't know if our audience figures have just spiked or someone said something nice about us, but um, the inbox was um, crammed to overflowing today. Producer Steve, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. You sound very familiar. Um, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. I just for no, no related reason to the last chapter, I just um, felt like I need to have a shower after that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I feel like... Um, you know those crime dramas where the hard-bitten detectives go home and they're in a bad mood and they drink whiskey and <laughs> shout at their families? I feel, feel a bit like that at the moment. I've just seen some stuff and now I can't move on. Um, let's have some nice stuff, shall we? Uh, we've got Jimmy Anderson, uh, who may or may not be the England fast bowler, uh, but for the purposes of my ego, I'm going to say is. Absolutely. So yes, Jimmy Anderson is our first non-confessional letter today. And Jimmy starts by saying, how much I love the pod. Well done, Jimmy. You may enter. Thank you. Jimmy's just started a new night shift and within the confines of that job can stick their headphones on. And in that process has just about worked through the entire full catalogue in the past two months, which has been a godsend as the job isn't the greatest. And Jimmy has learned a lot about the game on the way as well. So, I mean, first of all, that is exactly what we're here for. Thank you so much for saying that, Jimmy. And I think as well, in a previous life, I used to uh, work in a talk radio station in this country of the UK. And knowing that you were there for people doing the overnight shifts, whether that would be in hospitals or wherever, was one of the real joys of it in terms of connecting with people. So that sort of stuff is fantastic. I'm just really glad it's getting you through those overnight shifts, Jimmy. So thank you for saying that. Anyway, Jimmy also points to another love in my life as well in terms of um, speaking about a database. So we've mentioned the Mad Scientist database in various other ways that you can bring different twists to this wonderful game. Jimmy wants us to look at at Pokemon Manager on Twitter. And all it is, is someone creating a database where all the players are just Pokemon, which is the most bizarre thing Jimmy comes across in terms of foot manager. And they've created a league where each team is a different place in the game. So were you ever, was Pokemon a game that sort of passed you by slightly generationally, Ian? Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of uh, not in my 
cultural radar, I'm afraid. So I've got no idea what's going on. But it looks nice. It is amazing as well. And actually, since I don't know whether I'm slightly off in the sort of post-confessional mode, I do remember having played first and second generation games of Pokemon, which is so in the UK anyway, blue, red, yellow, then gold and silver, the original versions on Game Boy Color. I remember you have a squad of six in your primary party for Pokemon, certainly back in those games you did. And I would often think which Pokemon would make a good six-a-side football team as well. I have. So like, would Scyther as a bug Pokemon be quite a good on the right-hand side, etc.? I don't know, or as a goalkeeper because of the size they've got, etc. So I'm glad that someone else's like mental pathways went to exactly the same situation as I did as a kid. I, th- I think what I'm experiencing now is what any non-football manager player would experience if they listen to this podcast. <laughs> but, but you know what? You both sound happy and that's awesome. Uh, Jimmy, I, I am a veteran of the night working scene. I used to clean hospitals at night, um, which is every bit as gory as you can imagine. And I worked for a business-to-business news website at some point in the early 21st century. So, um, yeah, it's all about getting through it. No heavy food, try and avoid the caffeine uh, as as late as you go on. And uh, if you're lucky enough to work in one of those towns where they have market pubs that have a license to open up at 4am, they can really make the difference. (laughs) Dan Taken and Bowers uh, both get in touch about the Pentagon Challenge. You remember the Pentagon Challenge? It's the quite simple thing where you have to win the Champions League or equivalent on every continent. Uh, Dan says, I'm afraid this isn't my final up update my wolves he's got four in the bag already uh, this is the last one my wolves side had a stellar campaign winning the premier league to end a mini period of dominance for an arsenal side that then exacted revenge by knocking him out the champions league he hates domestic ties in the champions league i'm like that as well mm. you, you want the the glamour he's now in the 2038 39 season and he's hoping that this year is going to be the year when he can finally Across that trophy off his list. In unrelated news in 2038-39, Dan now has Antonio Conte, Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp as scouts for him, having retired from football mm-hmm. management. Um, so spotting the next big thing shouldn't be a problem. I'm going to bounce straight on and do Bowers as well. He's just started in his first season. He's won the league with Shenzhen in China which is actually a city true story. I was dispatched to interview Svenjorn Eriksson in 2017 and uh, I was flown to Hong Kong at no small amount of expense Hmm. and then when I tried to get over the border, the Chinese wouldn't let me in. (sighs) I presume because my passport was quite new and they must have thought I was a spy. (laughs) And I tried being nice and I tried being diplomatic and then I raised my voice and then I realised what it's like to have a lot of men with guns run at you. Wow. Um, And they... (laughs) They deposited me outside the building and I had to get a bus back to Hong Kong and stay there for three days waiting for my return flight. Uh, Listener, the client did not ever send me on anything else like that again. Anyway... Bowers has had much more fun in Shenzhen than than I did. Uh, He won uh, consecutive titles, feeling that his squad wasn't too far off, didn't make too many changes, went for strength and depth. He had a bittersweet feeling that it wasn't going to go well, rested some star players ahead of a crucial game. That didn't work. And then he realised that even though he had a superior goal difference, which was what he was banking on, he actually came second because he had lost and drawn to the eventual winners. And he says that serves me right for not reading the rules. But putting that behind him, he was looking for a team in South America or South Africa who had the wage budget to compete for the Champions League. This is the great thing about this kind of challenge that you just work your way around. After a few months, he found Amazulu in South Africa. Again, older listeners will remember the band. South Africa with only four games left and uh, he's getting settled in. He asks what I think 
how the hell do people fly through these Pentagon saves so quick? I genuinely, I'm like three seasons into my major save and we're halfway through the game cycle. So I don't know how you guys are doing this. Who else have we got? Producer Steve. So next up is uh, someone who addresses themselves as Mr. P. They say, scrolling through my youth intakes and I see a familiar name pop up in Man City's intake as the sort of youth players regenerate. CJ Ramson. Yes. Friend of the show, CJ Ramson, of course. So Mr. P is speculating that FM22 staff might insert themselves into the game with random abilities. So CJ Ramson has a six on decision-making, three on concentration, six on composure, and likes to try to play his way out of trouble. And Mr. P says that CJ doesn't do it for me, unfortunately, and he won't be getting a contract, the poor chap. This is something I guess we'll have to, next time we have one of our Friends at Sports Interactive, we might have to ask them about this mightn't we yeah you can find them in the second season the 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 new gens there's there's quite a few who've been inserted in there deliberately uh, including the athletics own ed malian who appears as a gigantic center back (laughs) um so let us know if you spotted any of those sort of easter egg new gens um, knocking about andy spears having not played football manager since fm12 I was inspired to give this new game a go, mainly because I can play it on my Switch. Oh, uh, This is true. The full game is is on the Switch. Uh, fast forward through countless saves started. He's like me. I started one with Kaiser Slouten in the third flight. Back-to-back promotions. Found myself struggling in the Bundesliga. Come October, I went to Norwich. They hadn't won a game all season and were languishing bottom. But I kept them up. And my crowning achievement came when I somehow managed to win the FA Cup in extra time. And this is true. He sent a screenshot. He really did. Now, my questions are this. How do I not ruin dynamics and cohesion in my team, but get rid of all the dross that's causing them to still yo-yo between the divisions? Do these differ in the touch version of the game compared to the PC version? Well, the... The touch version, if you're playing the new one, it's not the touch version, it's just the full version because they discontinued that. So you can you can play that on the Switch. It runs a bit slower than your average you know, gigantic desktop PC for obvious reasons, but still very, very playable. So with dynamics and team cohesion, one of the big factors, we, we did a special episode on this very recently. One of the factors is the, the tactics. If you're keeping the same tactics almost all the time, your team cohesion it will go down when you have a massive overhaul of your playing squad, but it won't actually go down that much. And you can drive it up very quickly by having lots of things like team bonding, uh, full match practice sessions in training. You can turn it around very quickly. What really messes it around is if you shift between uh, completely different tactical styles again and again and again, because that will change the tempo and the trigger passes and and things like that. Uh, He also says, how do I go about juggling European competition way too early? in my project at Norwich. Do I sack it off or do I make an effort? I mean, that's just a very personal choice, I think. You will find that your domestic performance will be affected by being in Europe, but equally, your reputation will be enhanced. I would at least try to get to the group stage and then sort of play it by ear after that. Does that sound fair, Steve? I think so, yeah. I think definitely, it depends also. I like to think of it like in terms of the real-life procedure of the club in terms of more romantically i suppose the idea of norwich having a european tour is massive so i would certainly personally prioritize that and think about safety in the premier league as like the minimum aim but no more than that therefore as you say that is that that first section of the season when you've got a group stage whether it's europa league or champions league then i sort of think prioritize those six games do the best you can in the in, in the league and then knowing that you've got 
time later in the season to prioritise the Premier League when those games are done, really. But as you say, it's a personal preference thing. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Who else have we got? So Carl P writes in. Carl says, firstly, big fan of the show. It's wonderful to listen every week whilst working in a monotonous blue collar job. Well, again, Carl, really glad that we can be here for you. Carl says, my question is, have you ever experienced a big letdown after moving on from a team to a bigger club? Only to realise you should have kept the job with your precious boys. Oh, yes. I started with Dar- the Derby County save some time back. And this is the thing that I sort of don't fully believe. Carl says it was fun. No, it wasn't. It was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Carl's, Carl's Derby went down, came straight back up. And then one season after finishing the top half, the next promotion by way of the playoffs. A few games in to a very challenging Premier League start. Seemingly out of nowhere, Napoli came calling. They were seven games into their Serie A season and one point was their tally. And they earmarked me as the man to take Napoli back to the top of Serie A. I never apply for other jobs as I like to be approached and have that little email which says such and such would like to request an interview. So anyhow, he packed his bags for Naples and what I thought would be fun was, well, it just wasn't. I missed Max Bird. I missed my couple of regen youth lads that I had big plans for. I got the job and I just felt underwhelmed and my heart wasn't in the save any longer. So has this managerial roundabout ever caused a similar reaction is, is the question. Yeah, it really has. I've spoken about this before, but I had a Norwich save on FM07 where I had avoided the drop in the first season because I like to start unemployed and I came in quite late. Dragged them up in the second season, but it was one of those ones where I was managing the under-18s and the B team and the first team and I had got Norwich within touching distance of the Champions League and then I left for Tottenham and it was just... It was just no fun. I don't know why I did it. I was having, I had my thing and I loved my thing. It was brilliant and I should never have left. But then I did it again. ESPN asked me to do a season as Manchester UFC because it was the year when Ferguson had gone. It was the first time you wouldn't be booting out Ferguson to be the Hmm. man UFC manager. And it, it wasn't quite as much fun, but again, I'd sort of micromanaged it. And this time I got five seasons through. So like, I knew all of my youth players. I, I kept tabs on them when I've released them and they'd gone to sort of League One, League Two clubs because they hadn't quite made the grade. They, it was my universe and I still kept an eye out for them. And then I took the England job. It was in a time of the game's development where being the England manager wasn't really that entertaining. And it was like, oh, what have you done, you idiot? <laughs> You've, sometimes you just create a lovely little world and it's your thing and it's what you think about when you're pushing a trolley around the supermarket. And then you go knacker it all up because you've misplaced real life ambition with uh, alternative life ambition. But I feel like I'm talking to my therapist here. <laughs> I was um, going to say, I have to up my rates <laughs> a little bit at this rate. But <laughs> Went a bit deep. But no, I completely agree as well. Like I feel with my Fiorentina save at the moment, not that any offers have come in inexplicably. I'm just quite enjoying it. Like I like the team. I feel, I feel loved. Um, it would be a mistake to move on even to a big club outside of Italy, really. I just feel quite happy where I am digitally. But also, as a side note, I don't know whether it's just my own save, but Napoli seemed to be the sort of basket case club that the AI decides makes stupid decisions in terms of recruitment, firing managers too quickly, etc. So partly, I don't know whether it's like just each game, but whether the Napoli job specifically was a difficult one to go to. Who knows? Anyway. Are you saying that Napoli is like the Italian version of Tottenham on FM? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Tottenham always go to pieces. It's mad. David Guest, and uh, again, I mean, if it is the David Guest who married Liza Minnelli and died a few years ago, then, um, well, welcome to the show, Dave. Um <laughs> 
boy, have we got some reach. He said, I'm writing to thank you for rekindling a personal addiction of mine that I've not felt for some years. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Um, this sort of feels like the opposite of an AA meeting. Uh, in the time I've been a subscriber to The Athletic, I've absolutely reveled in the level of depth and dedication that goes into everything on the platform. Man, you are going to make me popular, Dave. Uh, as a journalist myself, it's refreshing to read articles by people who are actually knowledgeable and intelligent compared to ever increasing the, the ever-increasing gaggle of cliché-minute pundits on television. Upon gorging myself on an athletic feast, I came across your excellent series on managing Newcastle. Now, there's a game I used to love, I said to myself, but I hadn't played in years. Needless to say, I ended up downloading a copy, and uh, that began the gradual theft of all my free time and free thoughts out. David played with Newcastle and did, looking at this, uh, better than me. He did the Derby Challenge uh, as well, listened to the podcast, and now he's having loads and loads of fun with Ipswich, largely because he has employed things he's learned in the podcast, mostly things from RDF Tactics uh, on the top of the show, of course. Really, really going for it. Uh, It feels like he knows his new team better than his own family. Thanks again for reinstating this passion in me and wish me luck in the championship and beyond. Yes, absolutely. He uh, got promoted from League One with 104 points, so it's obviously working. Absolutely. Absolutely delighted you're back and the podcast is working, Dave, and um, all the best uh, if you're another person who just sort of drifted away from the game and, uh, and have come back. Let us know about it. It's always great to hear. Absolutely. And final letter for today is David Newell. And you might want to brace yourself for this one, Ian, um, because I'm not sure Uh what we do off the back of it. So David says, as you said at the end of the last episode, this is a bit of a strange time for the game with the IRL season finishing. Dave's a Leeds fan here watching from behind the sofa. I think you probably should stay behind it, if I'm honest, David. Perhaps it might be time for another... Oh, God. Perhaps it might be time for another community challenge to see us through the international tournament-free summer. Just a thought, loving the show as always, and enjoyed the playoffs too, which obviously you were in in the FM playoffs. Ah. <laughs> community challenge. Another community challenge. I think this is, I'm going to tread carefully here, I think this is a good idea. Um, we've, we've got a long summer ahead mm. of us, and it, it can be difficult, can't it, to start a new game of Football Manager after the season has ended, because you just feel like, oh, the teams are in the wrong division, and I need to get used to... The, I don't know it's, it's difficult. We need we need something, don't mm. we? We're going to put our thinking caps on. We want you to do that as well. So write into us and let us know, or talk to us on Twitter, mm. and we will try and set something up to start after the football season ends, just to uh, you know see us all through. Should we be clear as well though that this is no longer a democracy? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you can suggest, and, and sure, we'll read and listen. But after what you people did with Derby <laughs> County, Sunderland was bad enough. You didn't think it was time for something fun, you know? Maybe go off and do the PSG challenge where we all win the league and have our, <laughs> a general mood of the day enhanced by basking in this kind of alternative life glory. No, no, you didn't think that. You thought, how can I break Ian McIntosh? <laughs> how can I break that man's spirit? Well, it didn't work, did it? Sounds like it might have done slightly. Yeah, it did a little bit. There were some tears. There were some tears. We'll we'll have a think. We'll try and come up with uh, with a new challenge. Maybe pick a completely different country, or 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 maybe maybe something really really sort of odd, like starting without any real player names and letting the game run for ten years, so you walk into a proper new gen universe. Uh, maybe that's too difficult. Uh, <laughs> let us know. It is iMacintosh at theathletic.com. And I'm on Twitter, Ian underscore games, which is Ian with two eyes, which I think you'll find is the correct way to spell it. 
And that was the Football Manager Show, sponsored by LiveScore. Your guest today was RDF Tactics, your producer was Steve Hankey, and I am former Southend United centre-back Pat Scully. The Athletic.